I'm going over to Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. You could use your iPhone, your iPad, or your eyelids because it's going up on the screen in just a minute. Matthew chapter number 2. I'm going to begin it in verse number 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Verse 7 says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east ahead of them... uh, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, notice, by the way, where the Magi met Jesus for the first time. It was where? Where? Not the stable, right? Everybody sees the stable scene. By the time the Magi got to Jesus, Jesus was almost two years old. And that's why Herod issued an edict to kill all of the children two years old and younger. And so they said when they came to the house, they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold for his royalty, incense for his divinity, and myrrh for the fact that he was going to be born to die. And having been worship, been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country. Notice the phrase, by another route, by another route. We're continuing in our series called The Greatest. We're looking at one of, if not the greatest event in human history, the incarnation of Christ. And I want to minister to you on the subject, I've been rerouted. I've been rerouted. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you make this word relevant and real to every heart? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. Are you one of those people who copiously plans out trips? Any people here who copiously plans out trips? You know, you get just a few of you. Good, because I hate people who do this. And, and by the way, you know, you know those people, they, they got to map everything out. They got to, we're going to stop here and we're going to stop here. We got to be at this point at this time. And at that point at this time, we got to arrive here and there's a bathroom over here. And so we can pull off, take a bathroom break over here and we can eat over here. Anybody know people like that? If you're not willing to admit you are one of those kind of people, right? And and if you're not one of those kind of people, you know, getting around somebody like that, it's kind of frustrating, right? They kind of ruin all the joy for everybody, you know. If I'm kind of like that a little bit, I got to admit, just in terms of leaving time. Like I have to tell my family, if we're going to leave at 10, I have to tell them 9.30. We're going to leave at 9.30. Because if I tell them 10 o'clock, they're like moseying down into the kitchen at like 10 o'clock. And they're like, okay, oh, we got to eat something down. I'm like, yo, it's 5 after 10. We're supposed to be in the car. When I say leave at 10, I want the car to be pulling out of the driveway at 10 o'clock. Anybody with me on that? It's kind of hard to explain what it's like, you know, if you get around somebody who has a route and then you try to reroute them. It's easier for me to show you than to tell you. So check this out for a minute. to be 
What? No, 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 you do not have to pee. Didn't you just go back at the train station? I tried to go, but there was a man standing next to me, so it just went away. But look, man, all this open road. You can hold it, I know you can. Just cross your legs. You should have asked if we had to go before we left. I did. No, you asked before we got on the train, not before we left the station. You're supposed to ask before every segment. Everyone knows that. Evidently not. I'm not gonna make it. Do you have a bottle? No. How about this ashtray? Kevin, there's no receptacle in this vehicle. <laughs> now, look, the exit is about a mile away, and you can hold it. How far is a mile? No, uh, 5,000 and oh. some kind of... Big... Look, think of something else. Uh, football, uh, math test. Uh, are we there yet? No. I'm sure the carpet is absorbent. Oh, here it comes! <laughs> If you're a dad, you can relate to that, you know? You go on those trips, and the kids are always, Dad, I got to pee. Dad, I got I just gave them all pee bottles, you know? I mean, don't don't knock it. The pee bottle thing, especially as you get older, that's a good thing. Because you don't have to get up in the middle of the night and everything like that. And my, my wife and my daughter were like, well, what do we do? We can't go to pee bottle. I'm like, porta potties for you. Just, there it is. Anyway, you know, sometimes life reroutes us. And it's not just traveling that reroutes us, but life can also reroute us. I mean, maybe you thought you were going to retire on that job. You got rerouted. Maybe you thought you were going to marry them and you got rerouted. Maybe you thought you were going to be a lawyer or a doctor, an athlete or an actor and life rerouted you. Maybe you thought you were going to grow old in that house. Life rerouted you. Maybe you thought you were going to retire at 65 and travel the world and life rerouted you. Maybe you thought your plan was, you know, high school and then college and then graduate college, get that great job and meet the love of your life and get married and go on a honeymoon to Hawaii and move back to a house with a white picket fence, 2.2 kids and a dog named Rover and life rerouted you. Sometimes life can reroute us. And when life reroutes us, what happens, it could be disappointing. It could be discouraging. You can kind of feel a little hopeless, like what do we do and how do we respond? And what I hope to do this morning is giving you a different perspective on what you should do and how you should look at the reroutes that life gives you. And I want to talk about it from the perspective of God rerouting our lives. And the first reason why God reroutes our lives is God reroutes our lives for our good. This is the most obvious in our story. Notice what it says. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Herod really didn't want to go worship King Jesus. He wanted to find out where this other king was so he can kill this other king so that he can retain power because Herod, if you know from history, was paranoid about his power. Matter of fact, history tells us that he killed his own sons because they wanted his throne. One son he killed one week before Herod's own death. He was on his deathbed and he knew he was going to die any minute, but he wanted to reign for that last week. And so he was power hungry in every way. And so he He didn't want to go worship Jesus. He wanted to kill off the king. And I mean, think about it. Even though he was paranoid, the question that the wise men asked would cause anybody to kind of be concerned if they were king. Imagine you're you're a sitting king and in walks these three people from the east, you know, other kings, maybe magi. and, And they come and say, where is the king? If you're the king and somebody walks in and says, where is the king? You might get paranoid about that. And I believe that there's a little Herod in each of us that wants to dethrone Jesus from his place as king in our life. See, we're okay with Jesus being savior because he does that for us. He saves us from our sins. We're okay with him being healer because he does that for us. And provider, he does that for us. Comforter, that's for us too. And 
advocate for us, intercessor for us. But king, that means Jesus gets to rule. And there's a lot of us that push back on Jesus being king because we don't want to give up rulership of our lives. We want to do life our own way and we want to do life with us calling the shot. So there's a little pushback in each of us. But I want you to notice here that the wise men get this dream because God had good things in store for them. God for the good sometimes will reroute our life, number one, because he wants to protect us. He wanted to protect them. And the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph from being killed by Herod. And God will sometimes reroute our lives just for our protection. This won't be the first time we see this in scripture. In Exodus chapter number 13, we find the story of God rerouting the children of Israel out of Egypt a different way than they thought they should go for their protection. Check this out. Exodus chapter 13 verse 17 says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them, look at this, in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. I love that about God. He didn't lead them the shortest way. He didn't lead them the quickest way. He led them a roundabout way. Anybody ever get led by God in a roundabout way? You know, you think God's going to just lead you straight to a promise or straight to what he wants for your life, the shortest way. You could see, like, if I go this way, I'm going to get there quick. And all of a sudden, God leads you a roundabout way. It can be frustrating. It kind of challenges our microwave minute theology. You know the microwave minute theology. We pray and we kind of just expect, boom, God's going to show up just like that for us. Like, God is like the genie in the bottle. You know that God where you just he's just waiting for you to just let him out of the lamp so he can answer a prayer for you right sometimes god will lead lead us a roundabout way why would god do that because god sees things that we don't see and in the case of the children of israel he knew even though they were let go from egypt that pharaoh was following how many of you know sometimes when you get delivered from something some of the baggage from that situation follows you along in life and god knew that pharaoh was coming along and god knew that if they would get caught out there in the open that what would happen is they would experience a battle that they weren't ready for sometimes god will lead us reroute our lives in a different way because he knows that if we go that way we'll have a battle that we're not ready for in life that battle will defeat us god sees different things and god's got our best interest at heart and so what god does is he reroutes our life He sends us a roundabout way. So many examples in the Bible of God kind of leading us or rerouting people for their own protection. One is the story of Balaam. Anybody know who Balaam is in the Bible? Balaam's the guy who was being tempted by a whole bunch of kings that were coming against or fighting Israel. Israel kept defeating them. And so um, the kings came together and they, they wanted Balaam, who was a prophet of God, to go and curse these other kings so that they could kind of defeat Israel. And they, they offered to pay him off. And even though um, Balaam first, you know, he pushed against it, he, he pushed back. He started, he decided, well, I'm going to get on my, my donkey and go. And so the Bible says that as he was going the way that he shouldn't go, that God took an angel or put an angel with a flaming sword in front of the donkey to stop Balaam from going the wrong way and to reroute Balaam's 
Balaam in the right direction. And then you remember what happened? Because this happens to us a lot. Anybody ever go in a direction and like, you know, the door is closed and you know you shouldn't go there. But you got it in your heart that this is the best way for you to go. And, and so what do you do? You keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying. And sometimes that's good. If it's the enemy standing in your way, but when God is blocking your progress because it's the wrong route, that can be dangerous. And so what God does is God puts this angel there with a flaming sword and then, and then Balaam is like, he just, he just wants to have at it. And so the Bible says that he beats his donkey to get his donkey to move. Actually, the Bible says he beats his ass. But I thought if I said beat ass in church, that y'all would be like, I can't believe you just said that, pastor. So I didn't say it. Okay. So he beats. So he beats his donkey to get his donkey to go in the right direction. And the donkey won't move. And finally, what does God do? He has the donkey talk to him to prevent him from going in the wrong direction to reroute his life. So he wouldn't curse the armies of Israel because if he cursed what God blessed, a curse would come upon him. He cursed him for his own. He, he stopped him for his own protection. Also, another example in the Bible that we see is Paul is on the road to Damascus, right? He's going out there to kill Christians. It's not the path that God has for him. He's going out there to get himself in spiritual harm's way. So what does God do? He appears on a road to him. He knocks him to the ground and he appears to him and he makes himself real to him to reroute his life in the right direction for his own protection. The story of Jonah. You remember Jonah? God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to that city so that they'll repent so that I don't have to pour out judgment upon them. Because God never wants to judge us. God always wants to forgive us. He always wants to extend mercy and he always wants to extend grace. But, but Jonah hated the Ninevites, hated them in every way. And God ever asked you to pray for somebody you hate? That's kind of what God was doing with, with Jonah. Not just pray for him, but go there and preach the gospel to him so that they don't get what they should get in life. How many times did we in life, we look at somebody that we don't like, we're like, pray to, just pray to get what they got coming to them, you know? And God says to Jonah, pray against that. Go there and preach. And Jonah's like, no way. He's going in the opposite direction. He goes to Tarshish. He gets on a boat. He gets on the boat. They begin to go in the opposite direction. And here's what God does. He sends a storm to mess up the route. Not because he wanted the people on the ship, not because he wanted to turn, you know, the ship over and kill the people there, but because he wanted to stop Jonah from going in the wrong direction. They throw everything overboard and the storm won't stop and they realize they're not going to make it. And so finally it dawns on them, maybe this is Jonah's fault. And Jonah's like, yeah, it's me. I guess what Jonah says. He's like, throw me overboard. Here's why. Because I'd rather disobey God than go in the right direction. He thinks, you know what, I'm pushing back. I'm going to go this way. And so he says, throw me overboard, I'll die. But you know what God does? God reroutes him for his protection. He's got a whale waiting there. I mean, talk, that's good. How many of you know you can't outrun God? How many of you know that no matter how hard you try in life, God loves you so much that he'll hunt you down even if, you know, you throw yourself overboard, so to speak. He's got this whale there. The whale catches him, gives him a ride in the right direction, reroutes his life, spits him up on the shores of Nineveh so that Jonah could go the right way instead of the wrong way. God loves us that much that he reroutes our lives. So that we'll wind up protected. This is what he did for the wise men. He said, no, no, no. If you go that way, Herod's going to come after you. Herod's going to kill you. He's going to kill the baby. He's going to kill the baby's parents. So go back by another route. God will reroute you in all sorts of ways 
by all sorts of means, making every effort to protect you because God wants to bring about good in your life and not evil in your life. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, we all know the verse. It's a famous verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you hope and a future. God wants good for your life. And so what does God do? He reroutes us. So the next time you get rerouted, don't get upset by it. Realize that God may just be protecting you. God not only reroutes our life for our protection, he reroutes our life for our provision. You remember the story of Elijah in the Bible, 1 Kings chapter number 17? Elijah's, you know, living through a famine and God speaks to him. He says, I want you to go down to the brook called Cherith. And he said, there you can drink from the brook. And he says, I've commanded ravens to feed you in the morning and in the evening. They're going to bring you bread and they're going to bring you meat. Just stay there. I'll provide for you. The brook dries up. And God speaks to Elijah. What does he do? He reroutes him to a city named Zarephath. And he says, because there I've commanded a widow woman to sustain you. Sometimes God will reroute you in life because he knows that up ahead there's no provision. He wants you to be provided for. He wants you to be taken care of. And so what he does is he reroutes you in life. You may It may look to you like the company is doing great and this is your meal ticket, but God may see something in that company's future at where your job is going to be at stake. And so what does he do? He reroutes you, gets you into a new position so that for the long haul you can be provided for. God reroutes us for our provision. God reroutes us for our protection. God reroutes us for the good of our purpose. So that we can fulfill our purpose. Do you know your presence on the planet is evidence that there's meaning behind your life? Did you know that your very existence here says that there's a reason for your being here? See, we are not, contrary to popular belief, accidents. We're not the result of random chance. We are not the result of an uncaused collision that took place in outer space eons ago. By the way, that is one of the most illogical things to ever believe. I'll prove it to you. How many of you believe that an explosion can create order? Anybody believe that? You know, you just kind of just throw a stick of dynamite in a lumber yard and poof, you have houses. How many believe that that's that's possible, right? No, it's not possible, right? But yet the, the powers that be would have us believe that an uncaused explosion created the kind of sophisticated order that we see in our universe. And do you know what is the most sophisticated, sophisticatedly complex design on the planet? It's you and I. You and I are so complex, there's no way that we came as a result of an uncaused explosion. There had to be somebody who was behind that thing, Mickey Mousing around with it, so at the end of the day, you and I could exist. That person is God. We are not accidents. We are accomplishments. Accomplishments. God created us. And the fact that God created us means that there's a purpose behind us. See, I don't believe, I don't believe that life began with insemination. Life doesn't begin with insemination. You know where the, the, the sperm and the egg, you know, you all know what insemination means, right? The sperm and the egg come together. I don't believe that's when life, life begins. I believe that life begins at conception. So what, wait, wait a second. Conception and insemination, they're the same thing. Well, I know that's the way we talk about it, but did you know what conception at its core really means? It means something that is perceived or conceived in somebody's mind. And I'm not talking about your daddy's mind. I'm not talking about your mama's mind. I'm talking about your father's mind. Here's what happens is God conceived you even before you were created in your mother's womb. And that fact means that God put you here for a purpose. All throughout the scripture we see this. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse number 5. I know you. Be, I knew you. 
Before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart. Psalm 139 verse 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Anybody know people who are wonderfully complex? Anybody married to somebody who's wonderfully complex? Anyway, your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Notice what God is saying here is that, that you didn't begin when you were in your mother's womb. You began, you were conceived in the mind of God. God thought of something that he wanted accomplished on the planet. Then God created you to do that particular thing. You know why that ought to excite you? Because that ought to tell you you have everything that you need to be great. Everything you need. If you don't have it, you don't need it. And that's why it's so foolish to go chasing after something that somebody else has because you see them succeeding. They're succeeding because God hardwired them to succeed in the areas he gifted them. And if you'll get in the areas that you've been gifted and you'll succeed every time because God put in you everything that you need in order to succeed. And because God put you here for a purpose. Watch this. If you back up, the psalmist says this right before he tells us about how God knew us before he formed us. Psalm 139 verse number 7 says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never run away from your presence. If I get up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the mornings, if I dwell by the furthest oceans. Watch this. Even there, your hand will guide me. Here's what God is saying. He's saying, because you have a purpose... God, with that purpose comes guidance to fulfill that purpose. Therefore, if you're going in this direction and it's the wrong direction, God will stop you and God will reroute you into that direction because God wants to give you every opportunity that you can to make a difference while you live here on the planet. You have been built for your purpose and your purpose demands that God will reroute your life. And so maybe you're being rerouted because God is trying to block something from your life, stop something from entering into your life. Maybe you're being rerouted because God is trying to bring something into your life. Maybe you're being rerouted because you're on the wrong road, the wide wide road that leads to destruction, and God wants to put you on the narrow road that leads to life. I don't know why you're being rerouted, but here's what I do know, that the steps of a good man or woman of God are ordered of the Lord, that if you are a child of God, God is guiding you even through the thick and thin of life. God sees stuff that you don't see. God knows stuff that you don't know. And so oftentimes, God reroutes us for the good of our provision and protection and purpose. But there's a second reason why God reroutes us in life. It's not just for our good. It's for our growth. Think about the wise men for a minute. The wise men are planners and plotters, aren't they? These are super intellectuals, you know. These are, these are astronomers. They look through telescopes uh, and they studied the stars. And by studying the stars, they were able to tell all sorts of things about the Messiah, where he was going to be born, when he was going to be born, you know. They were able to tell that he was the Messiah, that he was, he was not just an ordinary baby, but he would be a king from his birth. So they brought him gold. Not only was he a king, but they knew he would be God manifest in the flesh. So they brought him incense for his divinity. Not only did they know that, but they knew he was going to be born to die. And so they brought him myrrh that was an embalming spice. They knew all this from studying the stars. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know that I've taught you this before. That the Bible tells us that the stars are a story of redemption. That if you were able to look through a telescope, if you went to astronomy school and you learned how to read the stars, you would be able to look through a telescope and you would see the story of redemption in the skies. Listen to Psalm 19, verse number 1. It says, God's glory is on tour 
in the skies. God crafted an exhibit across the horizon. Madame Day holds classes every morning and Professor Knight lectures each evening. In other words, here's what God is trying to tell us, that, that he didn't just put the plan of redemption in our hearts. He put it on display for us to see. And so, for instance, if you went to astronomy school, they will tell you there that if you take these three constellations that are all next to each other, the constellations Scorpio, Ophucus, and Serpents, and you, it will show you a picture of a man who is strangling a snake and standing on the head of the snake with one foot. The other part, it's actually a scorpion. The other part of the scorpion, his tail is stinging the heel of the man's other foot. Now you say, why is this so important? Well, listen to what Genesis chapter 3 says. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is that telling us? The same picture that's in the sky. That God indeed did not only put it in our hearts, but God put evidence in creation. That's why the Bible says that if you've been created, if you look around, that you're without excuse to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because even the creation testifies to his greatness. The creation testifies to the first prophetic promise in the Bible of the coming Messiah. In Genesis chapter 3, listen to what it says again. Genesis chapter 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Here's what he was saying. He was saying to the enemy after Adam and Eve sinned that the same thing that you use, devil, in order to cause the downfall of mankind, I will use that very thing to bring deliverance to mankind. What did the enemy use? He used the womb of a woman. And so what did, or, or the, 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 he used a woman who was deceived and caused her husband to be deceived. And the two of them together brought sin into the world. And so here's what God said. You used a woman to bring mankind down. I'll use a wo- woman to deliver mankind. See, God, God takes the very things. This is a word for somebody. The same area that you are being beat up in, guess what? God's already assigned that area for deliverance in your life. Whatever the enemy uses against you, God will turn that very thing around and God will use that thing for you. And there's a genius in God. And the genius in God is God doesn't just use the womb of a woman. He uses the womb of a virgin woman. Because why? He said, I've got to put enmity, division between your seed and the woman's seed. Guys, do you know why every child that is born is born with original sin? And by the way, any child that dies prematurely before they're able to come to an age of accountability or choice to make Jesus their Savior automatically goes to heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. It says, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. But the reason why we're all born with original sin is because of the seed of a man. The seed of a man carries the original sin. And so what does God do? He uses not just the womb of a woman, but the womb of a virgin woman. The Holy Spirit, the immaculate conception comes upon Mary. She conceives without the help of a man. Why? So that Jesus would not be tainted with original sin. And because Jesus was not tainted with original sin, the result of that is he and he alone is uniquely qualified to be our Savior. The only substitute for our sin could be somebody who was sinless. That's Jesus. 
And here's what God wants us to know when we're rerouted in life. It's God's got every detail already figured out. You may look at the reroute. You may say, you know what? I don't understand how this is going to make sense. And God's like, don't worry. I've got it figured out. I don't understand how this is going to lead there. God's like, don't worry. I got it figured out. God's got the whole thing figured out. God reroutes us, not just for our good, but back to the wise men, for our growth. Here are these planners and plotters, right? They're intellectuals. They're they're studiers, you know. Intellectuals and studiers, they can have a difficult time with faith and trust, right? We all have a difficult time with faith and trust, but intellectuals can also have a difficult time with faith and trust. And so these intellectuals, they, they probably were leaning on their own understanding, they were probably people who were like, well, you know, okay, we saw the Messiah, and this is the best way home. We'll go this way, and, you know, we'll see the sights in Jerusalem along the way, and we'll go this way, and we'll stop off over here and over there. And God comes along, and he gives them a dream. And the dream requires that they put away, relying on themselves, start trusting with their heart in God. Why? Because God doesn't only reroute our lives for our good. He reroutes our life for our gross growth. The Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And watch this. And He will direct your path. Here's why God will sometimes redirect. Here's why God will sometimes reroute our lives. Because God wants us to stop relying on us, ourselves. Start relying on Him. He reroutes us for our growth. But then the third reason why he reroutes us this morning is he reroutes us not just for our good, not just for our growth, but here's what I love, for the good of other people. You know, there are so many times in our life when we get rerouted, unexpectedly things happen, and here's our question, how's this going to affect me? You know, am I going to come out all right? And, And we're so worried about ourselves that we often miss that sometimes God reroutes our lives, not just for us but for other people, for the good of other people. Almost every reroute in the Bible was for somebody else. When God rerouted Jonah, who'd he do it for? He did it for Nineveh, for them. When God rerouted Elisha from the brook to the Zarephath where the widow woman was, yes, she was going to feed him, but Elijah went there to do a miracle for her. The reroute was for somebody else. When God rerouted Moses from his family's arms, to the palace. Remember, he was floated down the Nile River. How many of you know some reroutes are rough? Some reroutes don't look like they're going to turn out all right. But how many of you know God's got a plan? God had a plan for Moses. God won't reroute you. If God on the reroute, the devil is going to take you out. Oftentimes, the reroute is to keep you from what the devil wants to do in your life. Because there was a Pharaoh who wanted to kill the baby. So God had his mother put him on the Nile River so he could wind up in the palace to deliver Israel. It was for them. Remember when God rerouted Joseph from favored child in his family to first in command behind Pharaoh in all of Egypt. And you remember that reroute? It wasn't easy. Pit first. His brother sold him into slavery. Put him in a pit. Got sold into slavery. Wound up in Potiphar's house. From Potiphar's house, falsely accused, went to prison. From prison, then he went to the palace. Can I encourage somebody right now? Maybe you're in a pit right now. Can I just encourage you? That's not your final resting place. That's not where God's designed you for. He's not designed you for a pit. God wants to take you to better things. You might be in the middle of a reroute right now for somebody else. 
You remember what Joseph says, the end of time or the end of his story? His brothers who sold him into slavery get before him. They're afraid because Joseph, they think, is going to get him back. By the way, when you have this perspective that God is rerouting you, that God's in charge of your steps, even when you have a chance to get back at the people who set you back, all of a sudden, you know what? You pull back because you know that they tried to set you back, but all God was doing was setting you up. And so they're before him right here. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me. If I was Joseph, I would have paused right there. I would have been like, yeah, think about that. Now I'm in charge. What's going to happen to you? But Joseph doesn't pause. He said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. What was Joseph's reroute for? It was for others. See, when God reroutes our life, God may just want to use us. In our Christmas story, God reroutes the wise men to protect Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And so that you and I could experience the glory of being saved from our sins. Here's my question for you to consider. Who does God want to use you to touch in your reroute? Who is in your path when life is going in a direction that you didn't think it should go in that God may want to use you to touch? I told this story before. Many of you know this, but about 10 years ago now, I had a business failure because a best friend stole all sorts of money from me, bankrupted the business, cost me a million bucks, lost my house as a result of it, cost me my sanity for a season, embarrassment, all that kind of stuff. And I've often asked God, I said, God, what was that all about? What, why, why the reroute? And God's taught me many, many, many lessons through that. By the way, I think it's made me more sensitive to people. You know, now when I see somebody going through something like, you know, a financial situation, I can totally relate. You know, sometimes people think there's a lot of difference between the pew and the, and the pulpit. Can I tell you, there's not a lot of degrees of separation from the pew and the pulpit. The only difference is that God's given me a mic so that he can use me in this way. And God's got other gifts for you to use. And so I'm during that season, God, what's going on? What's this about? And God always reminds me, amongst many other things, why, one of the reasons why it happened Yeah, it cost me a million bucks. Yeah, I lost my house that my kids grew up in. Yeah, I went through a season of thought I was going to lose my mind. But there was a guy who used to come into that business every single week. And and the manager of that business was somebody who attended our church, so they would invite everybody to come to church. And they invited this guy. And this guy came to church, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he'll tell you himself, he's not a perfect man, but he's not who he used to be. And now he's a child of God. And I thought, God always reminds me. He always says, that was one reason why. Can I reroute your life for somebody else? Yeah, it costs me. And I tell them all the time when I see them, I say, if you ever doubt how much you're worth, you're worth at least a million bucks. I just want you to know that. At least a million bucks. Right? See, can God use your life? Can God reroute you, even if it costs you, even if it means something to you, for the benefit of somebody else? I mean, this is us. This is why we're here. This is why we exist. We don't exist just for us. We exist for God, not for us, but to his name. Be the glory. Last thing I want to share with you today is God reroutes our life, not just for our good, not just for our growth, not just for the good of other people, but also for his glory. You know, there's this amazing scripture in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we see this, um, this vision that Isaiah has of heaven. And in this vision, you know, um, Israel is once again strayed from God. And um, God is trying to figure out who he could send 
to save them from their strain so he doesn't have to judge them. And um, God asked a question in, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 8. By the way, Isaiah is a great book. It's a prophetic book all about Jesus. We know Isaiah 9, 6, right? That says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and we shall call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We all love that as a Christmas verse. But back it up to chapter 6, verse 8. God is looking out, and he wants to save his people. And here's what he asked. He said, he said whom? Can we send? He said, who will go for us and whom shall we send? And ultimately, we know the answer to that question is just Jesus. Because nobody can save the whole world except Jesus. Nobody's able to save the world for their sin except Jesus. And we know that as God looked out and he couldn't find a man to stand in the gap and make up a hedge, that Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He stood in the gap for you and I. He made up the way so that you and I don't have to be eternally separated from God. That is the Christmas message. That is the purpose of Christmas. Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Who, whom shall we send? And Isaiah is listening to this as he's watching this vision of heaven. And Isaiah answers the question in a mighty way. He says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, God, you know what I want? I want my life to not only be used to, to touch other people for the good of others, but I want my life to be used for your glory. See, this is the real reason why we're here. All throughout scripture, we see people being rerouted so that their lives can bring God glory. I mean, that's why the wise men are rerouted, so that ultimately Jesus could have his impact on the world and bring God glory. If you go to other places in scripture, there's a, there's a lady by the name of Naomi in scripture, and she was rerouted from her homeland because she lost her husband and her two sons so that her daughter-in-law could move back with her, meet a man by the name of Boaz, and they could get married and further the lineage of Jesus Christ so the Messiah could be born and bring God glory. In the Bible, you've heard of a man by the name of David. He was rerouted from a shepherd boy to a king. On his reroute, even though it wasn't what God intended, God still used it. He meets a woman by the name of Bathsheba. They have a child by the name of Solomon. It is through that child, Solomon, that the lineage of Jesus is continued so that the Messiah could be born and bring God glory. All throughout the Bible, reroutes to bring God glory. Rahab, a prostitute, gets rerouted. She marries one of the spies that goes into the promised land by the name of Salmon. She marries that spy. They have kids. Those kids are in the lineage of Jesus Christ so that Jesus could be born and bring God glory. Mary and Joseph are rerouted from a carpenter and a peasant girl to the father and mother of Jesus so that the Messiah could be born and bring God glory. Jesus is rerouted from heaven to earth, from creator to a cross, from majesty to a manger. From at the right hand of God to being common like you and I. Why is he rerouted? So that you and I could be born again and bring God glory. This is the reason why we exist. This is our purpose. Our purpose here is not so that, you know, we can have this great life, although God wants that for us. Our purpose here is to bring God glory. God wants to use each and every one of your lives. And when you think about it, it's absolutely amazing that God would choose us to bring him glory. You know, the scripture says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may not be of us, 
but it would be of God. In other words, God uses us, earthen vessels, broken clay, that's been molded out of dirt. God uses our lives in any way. It's spectacular. So oftentimes, man, I just have to tell you, you know, and I hope this is not a humble brag because I don't mean it like that. But there's oftentimes when I'm like, God, I can't believe that you, you want to use me. Because, you know, you ever get real with yourself? Anybody ever get real with themselves? You know, nobody's looking. You kind of realize, you know, you're not as good as you think you are. And I'm for having a high self-esteem. Godfidence is better than confidence, by the way, right? It's confidence in God instead of confidence in yourself. But there's sometimes I just like, God, man, I know me. And I'm just astounded that you want to use me. But that's what God is all about. God is about taking imperfect things and using those imperfect things to bring him glory. And you know what? That's who you and I are. And that's the purpose of our life. And here's what our heartbeat should be. It should be, God, not for us, but for your name. Be the glory. God, how will you use me to bring you glory? That's part of the Christmas story. That's what Jesus came for, to save us from our sins and use us for his glory as he writes our story. Would you stand to your feet?